0: I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In preparing for this message, and you'll understand why in a minute, I started to reflect a little bit uh, just on the history of my life and started to uh, imagine like if I, if I could talk about what are those like achievements and accomplishments uh, that I'm proud of, like things that I really have invested in uh, over my lifetime. I kind of imagined it being like kind of a, a trophy case. And as I was thinking about that, I actually was reminded that when I moved out of my house uh, when I got married, I just, I piled up a bunch of stuff that was in my, in my room there, and there are all these like keepsakes and things to remind me uh, of things that I felt like were important achievements, at least at the time. I mean, there were, there were like ribbons in there from like fourth grade wrestling. There's like middle school uh, track meet ribbons. Uh, there's tons and tons of articles and newspaper clippings uh, about high school and basketball and the things that our, our basketball team did. And you're not even gonna believe this. There was a picture in there of me at a homecoming. That is an achievement, getting a date when I was in high school. That was a huge achievement. I know why I put that in my Keepsake album. What are your trophies? Like, like if you had a trophy case at home, and maybe some of you do, probably likely you don't, but maybe it's just a, kind of a trophy case in your heart, and your mind, when you think about Things in your life that you've been incredibly proud of what are they I also started to think a little bit about just even how much I invested in education and I've got a a diploma here from the Montana State University Uh, I like yeah exactly I like to call it the Harvard of the Rockies that's what I think Montana State is I've got my seminary degree here. I don't know what this qualifies me to do, but maybe if you ever came in my office, you could. Just, I've got a, a master's in biblical and theological studies. Those are things that, when I looked at all the stuff that's in there, I have invested thousands of hours and years of my life in those accomplishments. What are your trophies? What are those achievements that you look back on and you think I'm especially proud of those? Here's why I bring this up because as We step into the text that we're gonna read today. This was written by the Apostle Paul, this book of Philippians. And what you need to know about the Apostle Paul is that he was an achiever. He had all kinds of acknowledgements, all kinds of degrees. He was the goat when it comes to religious things, the greatest of all time. But here's what Paul wants us to understand in this letter is that if we want to experience joy, that's the theme of this whole letter if we want to experience joy or even what we're calling this series, rediscovering joy, we've got to let go of some things. We've got to not chase some things in this life. What Paul's going to tell us is that don't chase religion. He's going to tell us don't chase trophies, but he's also going to tell us do chase a relationship. Point number one, don't chase religion. Here's the apostle Paul, Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one. He says, further, my brothers and sisters Rejoice in the Lord That theme continues to run Joy, rejoicing He says, it is no trouble For me to write the same things to you again And it is a safeguard for you But then Paul highlights a warning A warning on the dashboard of our life He says, watch out Watch out for those dogs Those evildoers Those mutilators of the flesh Who are the dogs? What you need to know is that this is an incredibly derogatory term. This isn't like our our, our little golden retrievers at home that are are, are fun little cute animals. He's referring to something that is evil and wicked. He even goes on to call them evildoers. But the question that Paul is asking is this. Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? Well, if you know, you know but he's talking about the dogs. And what he's talking about is the first century joy stealers and grace killers. He's talking about religious people. Nobody can suck the joy out of life like a religious legalist. And Paul knows something. He knows what it's like to be one of those because he was one. And the specific people that he's calling out is a group of people that are called the Judaizers, and this is what a Judaizer is. That's harder to say than you think. This is what a Judaizer is. I'm gonna keep trying to say it. <laughs> it's someone that has a Jewish that has Jewish descent, but has become a follower of Jesus. But the Judaizers, what made them so frustrating to Paul was that they were trying to tell Gentile believers that they needed to follow the law of Moses in order to experience and receive the salvation that comes from Jesus. He said, they were telling people, you've got to obey the law of Moses and specifically circumcision. They were telling Gentiles that were stepping into faith in Jesus, you need to be circumcised. Now, I will say this, if you are a man and you are converting and you are choosing to follow Jesus, that would test your commitment would it not? A willingness to be circumcised. But Paul is furious, and he calls them evil workers. And here's what's ironic about that. He's calling them workers of evil because they're simply trying to say, what you need to do is follow the law of Moses. There is nothing evil about the law of Moses. It is good. Jesus lifted up the law of Moses as good. But for Paul, trying to say that you needed to obey that in order to experience a relationship with Jesus was so frustrating to him because the truth was, is to say that makes the gospel not the gospel anymore. For Paul, this is how he saw it. The gospel is this, Jesus plus blank equals salvation. What Paul is trying to say is the gospel says that there is nothing. There is nothing in that blank. It's Jesus plus nothing provides us everything. It's not about doing works of the law. It is about experiencing a relationship with Jesus. And then Paul goes on to, in the next verse, he starts to talk about what becomes true of someone What is actually true of someone that is not focusing on the externals of what it means to follow Jesus, this external obedience to the law, but is focused on the internals, the change of a heart from the inside out. So Paul says it this way as he continues in three. He says, for it is we, followers of Jesus, it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Three things that Paul's saying there. He's saying that we are the circumcision. And when Paul says this, he's not talking about circumcision done by the hands of men on our flesh. He's talking about circumcision of our heart. Our heart is changed as a result of coming into faith in Jesus. But he's also saying that we worship God. We serve God by his spirit. It's not about the things that we do. It's about the indwelling spirit. And as we walk through life, we are learning continuously what it means to listen to the spirit, to obey the spirit in our life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That is the outflowing of the gospel. And that's why Paul, when he very first started this letter, he said, I am confident of this. He said, I always pray for joy with joy for you, because I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the good work. It's the Spirit's work in us that's changing us from the inside out. And I'm so excited in our next series, we're gonna spend several weeks talking about just that. How does the Spirit actually walk us into close relationship with Jesus? And then Paul ends with this. He says, it's we who boast In Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's just saying this is where our focus is the cross of Jesus. And we boast not in what we do, but what Christ has done for us. And it's interesting, this can be tricky for people to understand the meaning and the message of the gospel because there's something in our humanness and in our brokenness that feels like we just need to earn something before God. Here's a way for you to diagnose either in your own heart or in the heart of people around you. Do they understand the message of the gospel? There's a simple question that we can ask ourselves or ask others, and it's this. If you were to die tonight and you were to stand before Jesus and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Now, when I was on staff up on the campus and we shared our faith with thousands of people, this was a question that I would ask all the time just so I could understand how are they thinking about the message of the gospel? And there's so many times, even kids that have grown up in the church that the very first things that start to come out of their mouth are things like this. Well, I lived a good life or I've I've tried to do this, I haven't done this. And what Paul would say is you're talking about this. You're talking about the things that we do. It's like we're trying to hand God at heaven our resume or our trophies of the things that we've done for him, and that somehow that is gonna get us our salvation. And Paul was saying, it is Jesus And Jesus alone, his death in our place to pay the penalty for our sin is the only thing, that's the only answer that we could give to Jesus is I haven't done anything, but it's about what you've done for me. But if there was anyone, if there was anyone that had a long list of stuff right here, it was the apostle Paul. Like I said, he was the goat. He had the most amazing religious Resume that you could even imagine. But Paul, even with all those things on the wall, said, don't chase trophies. Here's what Paul says. He says, don't put confidence in the flesh. But then he starts to continues in verse four. He said, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he keeps going. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. He knew everything about the law. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. Paul is just saying, want to talk trophies? You think you got trophies? I got more. If trophies are what it's about, Paul would say, I have all of it. Paul had blood on his hands and amazing diplomas on the wall. But then he had a moment. He had a moment on the road to Damascus when he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. Now, did he know about Jesus before that day? Absolutely. Did he know about the teachings of Jesus? Absolutely, he knew all of those things, but he didn't know Jesus until that day that he was blinded. Now, Jesus healed his sight, but from then on, there were things that Paul couldn't see anymore. He couldn't see a need to want to hand his resume to God because he knew it didn't matter. He didn't see a reason to try to live out good works in order to please God. The only option that Paul could see from that day on was to talk more about Jesus and less about himself. He said, this is the gospel. It is all about Jesus and what he has done for us. That's why Paul says, don't chase religion. It's not about that. Don't chase trophies even religious trophies in this life, because they just don't matter. But he would say, chase a relationship with Jesus. That's what we do do. Chase him, because Jesus changes everything. And that's where Paul makes a flip as we get to verse seven, contrasting everything that he said before that he used to value, his old box of things that he used to treasure. He said, they don't matter anymore. Verse seven, he says, but but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, not knowing about him, but knowing him, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he says this, I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ. Paul is just saying his. If he was an accountant, he's saying his accounting sheet was turned upside down. All the things that he used to put in the plus column, he says now those are in the loss column. I consider them garbage. And the only thing that's in the plus column for me at this point in my life is knowing Jesus, knowing the resurrected Jesus. Paul calls everything else garbage. And here's what you need to understand. Like, that is such a light translation of that word. Some places call it garbage. Some people use it. Some translators use the term rubbish. This is what is the actual word, this emoji. That's the word that he's using. It's, it's poopy. That's what you say when you have little kids. It's poopy. That's how adamant Paul is talking, but like that that emoji, the, the translators are trying to doll it up a little bit. You know, put cute little eyes and a little smile on it makes it not seem as bad as it was. But Paul is saying it is absolute garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Anything that we would try to do for him. He's saying it's garbage. The only thing that matters is Jesus and Jesus crucified on our behalf. And what Paul wants us to know is that if we want to experience joy in this life, if we want to rediscover joy, it is all about knowing Jesus. Not knowing about him, but truly knowing him, experiencing him in a relational sense. And when Paul talks about salvation, I want to circle back to something I talked about a couple of weeks ago. When we talk about this idea of salvation, there are different aspects of salvation. There's a past tense of salvation that we call justification. There's a present tense aspect that we call sanctification. And there's a future tense aspect of our salvation that's called glorification. And the reason I bring that up again is because in the next three verses, Paul unpacks each one of these one by one. The first one he talks about is justification in verse nine. And I want you to remind you that this is the past tense of our salvation, what God has done And the definition of that is that we are saved immediately. And I would also add permanently, immediately and permanently from the penalty of sin. And this is how Paul describes it. He says, and be found in him, meaning Christ. He wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith. Paul's saying, the righteousness that I have, it's not of my own doing. It is only because of Jesus. That's what Paul wants us to understand. That's what justification is. We have a righteousness that comes from Jesus. And now that word righteousness, it can be kind of a churchy word, but what what is Paul talking about? Righteousness simply means a right standing before God that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and what he did for us, we are positioned. God puts us in a position of right standing. We become one of his children. And the reason that we can do that is because Jesus took our sin and we got Jesus's righteousness. It's what theologians often refer to as the great exchange. And that's what needs to blow our mind and move our heart. Here's how Paul described the great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, right standing. What did Jesus have? A perfect life, a sinless life, righteousness. What did we have? A sinful life, a broken life. What did Jesus do? He said, I'm gonna take your sinful, broken life and I'm gonna pay the penalty for that on the cross. And here's what I'm gonna give to you in exchange. You are gonna have my righteousness. The great exchange he takes our sin, we get his righteousness. And we move into what the Bible calls a union with Christ. We are united with him, which this needs to blow your mind. What union with Christ means is that everything that was true of Christ is now true of us because of our union with him. That means when God looks at you, at our sinful, broken life, is that what he sees? No, he sees your life Covered in the blood of his son, having paid the penalty for your sin. That needs to blow our mind and move our heart. The great exchange. And here's how Paul would describe it. If we are about religion, if we're about these things, then our faith becomes about do. What do I need to do? But that's not the message of the gospel. Do is not how you spell the gospel. This is how you spell the gospel. It's done. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us. That's the difference between religion and Christianity, relationship with Jesus. It's about trusting in what he's done, not in what we do. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with the great exchange because our life continues to transform in the present tense, and that's when Paul starts to talk about sanctification. And the definition of sanctification is that we are progressively, we are saved progressively from the power and the practice of sin. Knowing Christ changes us, and this is how Paul describes it. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Back at the beginning, again, when Paul talks about this good work that he wants to do in our life, that good work is sanctification, that he's going to continue to carry on as we continue to live more and more separate from sin in our life, becoming more and more like Jesus, doing the things that he wants us to do, not doing the things that he doesn't want do us to do. But that flows out of our relationship with Him, our knowledge of Him. We don't do that to earn anything before Him. It is given to us and our lives change. We live more moral lives. We live more sacrificial lives. We are more willing to suffer for the sake of others because that's who Jesus was. And God continues to do that all throughout our life until ultimately we get to that place Glorification, which is the future, the culmination of our salvation, where we are saved ultimately from the presence of sin, the ultimate result. And here's how Paul describes it verse 11 and so, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, there will be one day that we are with him forever, completely separated from sin for all of eternity. All that to say as Paul is trying to help them understand what brings joy in this life, it's focusing on and experiencing all of those things, justification, sanctification, glorification, glorying in the fact of what Jesus has done for us, not because of what we've done, but he did it for us, and being confident of the fact that God is continuing to change us and being, just knowing for certain that we are gonna spend eternity with him, Spending time knowing Jesus in that way is what brings joy to this life. And that's what Paul wants us to know. Everything is simply about that. Everything else is garbage. He said, there's nothing to give your life to more than that, knowing Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus taught as well. This is just a reflection of the teaching of Jesus. This is what Jesus said, John seventeen three. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, not know about you, but that would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's about knowing him. But here's the reason that Paul is giving us such a warning about religion and religiosity and trying to hand a resume to Jesus because there's something in us, friends. There's something in us that wants to earn something before God. And there are so many people, so many religious people, that that's exactly what they're doing. And I want to read something to you that every time I read this, this is just one of the most sobering teachings of Jesus, in my opinion. Because he's saying there are many people out there who just don't get it. They think that this is what it's all about, and they completely miss knowing Jesus. Here's what Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's going to be many that think what it's about is handing a resume to Jesus. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. And let's just be honest. I I read what he's talking about there. That seems like a a pretty good resume. Does it not? If you want to be religious? Here's why this is so sobering to me. I think religious people have the most difficult time seeing their own religiosity. We imagine that all the things that we're doing, we're doing for all the right reasons, but sometimes it's just about us and it's not about Jesus. Religious people have a hard time seeing religion in themselves. This leads me to try to think about how do we go after what we want to be as a church? We want to lead people to become all in followers of Jesus. So what do we do? What is the most important thing for us to do as a church? Is it to try to help people know who Jesus is and what he's done for them? Or is it to try to get them to live moral lives? Here's what I believe to be true. I hear what comes out of the mouths of people. And I think some people think like, like this is the most important thing. It's about morality. But I think Paul would tell us it's all about helping people understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them. When I was on staff on the campus, I would speak at conferences every once in a while. There was one time in the middle of a conference, a young man came to me and he said, I've got some questions. It's not unusual for people to do that, but he said, I've got some questions. Could we sit down in between the sessions? And I said, gladly, absolutely. And he had lots of questions about faith. And then he said, I've got one more question. And he just got really serious, and it seemed like a little nervous, and so I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be like a whopper of a question. This is like going to test my theology, test my apologetics. And he just looked me in the eye, and he said, if I choose to follow Jesus, do I need to stop smoking weed? You did what I did. I just, I just laughed. But what would you say? How would you answer that question. I mean, this was, this was a while back. This was before everything was legal like it is today. He's like, do I need to do that? How would you answer? I'll tell you how I answered because I believe it's how Paul would answer. I just said, follow Jesus. Make him the king. Make him the trophy of your life. And whatever he asks you to do, do it and you'll be just fine. Just do whatever he asks you to do because this is what I'm confident of. I'm confident just like Paul that if we do that, if we truly make Jesus our king, he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. It's not about these are all the things you need to do. These are the things that you don't need to do. It's about following him, but here's the deal. When we truly do that, it's gonna affect The things that we do, our life is gonna be radically different. It's gonna look more like Jesus. So it's not like we don't care what people do, but we care more about who they do it for. It is about helping people come to know Jesus. Is Jesus your trophy? Is Jesus the only trophy in your life? That's what Paul is exhorting us to. If you wanna have joy, it's about knowing Him, it's about making Him. And him alone, the trophy in our life. When you walked in, you probably saw that there was a card. I want you to just grab that. Because I want you to, I'm going to give you an assignment with this later, but I want to tell you why that is sitting on your chair. I want to tell you a story, and this is a true story. Happened a couple of weeks ago. One of our student interns, his name's Trey, that works with our our high school and middle school students here at Journey. He was just starting his first day of classes at MSU. He was in an upper division sociology class. The class was called Society and the Individual. He walks in, day one, the professor hands every one of the students in there 20 index cards. And he says, here's your assignment. I want you to write on those index cards everything that you value, things that you would even be willing to die for. So that was their assignment They filled out their 20 cards And the first thing that they had, had them do Is he stuck a garbage can In the middle of the room And he said now I want you to take 10 of those cards And I want you to throw them in the garbage Pick your top 10 And then here was the continuing assignment As they gathered in a circle Around the garbage can One by one they would go around And they would throw other things Into the garbage can things that they would not die for until every one of them ended with just one card. So Trey's sitting there, and then the professor says, here's what I'm gonna have you do. Every one of you needs to throw that card in the garbage because whatever's on your card, that is garbage. So Trey said they started a few people to the left of him, so he just got to watch everyone go around the room, and they all shared what was on their card And then they crumpled it up, and they threw it in the garbage. He said he watched people around there throw cards that said family on it. And the professor would say, that's garbage. They had ones that said friends. The professor said, that's garbage. He said there were other people in that circle that had a card that said faith on it, and they crumpled it and threw it away. And the teacher said, that's absolutely garbage. One guy threw away a card that said, my PR at the gym. He must have been really swole. <laughs> but as it went around, Trey was just looking at his card, and he just thought, I can't throw this away. I can't throw this away. And he felt like he just needed to tell his professor, I can't do this. So as it got to him, and if, it, if you know Trey at all, he is just like the most humble, gentle, non-confrontational person there is on the planet But as it got to him, he started to get nervous because he just said, I'm not going to throw away my card. When it got to him, he looked at his professor and he said, I can't do it. I'm not going to throw away my card. The professor powers up and says, you will throw away the card or I will fail you in this class. And so Trey is just, like I said, non-confrontational and he's said i was just nervous and i was shaking my hand was holding my card and it was shaking and i'm just thinking about all the things like if i don't if i don't take this class what other class am i going to take and how am i going to graduate there's all these things that are running through his mind and like should i just throw the stupid card away and he said no he looked at his professor and he said i'm not going to throw it away and the professor looked at him and said good job And then he looked at everybody else and he said, why would you throw away the one thing that matters to you? Trey, good job. Lots of people, Trey didn't ever share to anyone what was on his card, but a lot of students came up afterwards and just said, what is on your card that you wouldn't throw away? This is Trey's actual card. I'm so stinking proud of Trey. For one, I want to be like Trey when I grow up. That's for one thing. Trey got it. He got it. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the only trophy that matters. He under, Trey understood the message of Paul. I think if, if Paul was watching, he would be clapping as well. He's like, Trey, you get it. Here's the question that I have. Do I get it? Do you get it? What's your trophy? If you had all these things that you're giving your life to, maybe trophies that you're chasing in this life, would Jesus be the one trophy that you'd be unwilling to throw away? Because when we truly know him, we would all do what Trey did. Because he is our only trophy. Do you know him that way? Here's my assignment. For you, I want you to take that card And I want you to just evaluate, just look across the landscape of your life. Just be gut level honest with yourself. You don't need to lie to yourself. You're the only one that's gonna do this. What really matters to you? Is Jesus my trophy? Are there other things? Are there other trophies in my trophy case that I tend to look to, that I tend to grab a hold of, that I tend to want to achieve toward other than Jesus? Is Jesus your only trophy? And then I want you to ask this question. Do I know him? Do I know him the way that Paul is talking about knowing, the way that Jesus talks about knowing? Do I know that I know that I know him in a transforming way? Not know about him. Do I know him personally? Because if not, it is so simple to put your faith and your trust in what he did for us, what he has done, not what we do, but what he has done. And here's what I want to do. There might be people here today like, I don't know. I don't know if I know him like that. I want to give you an opportunity to bow your knee and to make him your king and to put your trust and your hope in him and him alone and to make him your trophy. There's not anything magical about what I'm going to do. All I'm going to do is just pray. And if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, To surrender your life to Him and put your trust in Him. Do it today. Don't wait. Make Jesus your trophy today. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that there is nothing in this world that matters more than you. There are so many things, Jesus, that we can chase in this world, but they all become shadows. In the light of you, Jesus, we say thank you today for what you've done for us. Not what we do for you, but what you've done for us. Jesus, we wanna put our faith and our trust in you. Today, Jesus, I make you the king. Today, I bow my knee to you and you alone. Today, Jesus, I make you, you my trophy. Thank you, Jesus, that as I humble my heart before you, that you justify me. You make me righteous before you. You give me your righteousness and you took my sin. And Jesus, I just want to say thank you today that you did that for me. My life belongs to you. And all God's people said, amen.